This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, uh, brought to you by Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. I'm Mob. Hello, everyone. And we have a, a very special episode. A very special I, episode. I, I think we have is a... Is it time for the clip show already, Rob? <laughs> No, it's, it's it's not quite time for the clip show. Although, of course, uh, Christmas uh, Christmas will be coming up, so I think we'll have to have the um, Christmas special. I think we'll have to have the Christmas episode of Shenandoah Down Under because, no doubt, for instance, um, uh, the Executive Officer Whittle um, will have put uh, you know tied some prisoners up into interesting positions and decorated them with uh, with, with holly or maybe made the the chains out of uh, festive uh, festive paper. Fortunately, there's no mistletoe on board as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, well, yes, let's, let's, let's not go there. But no, uh, this is a, a very special episode because uh, in this episode we are touching uh, on uh, the, yeah, the, the title, the subsidiary title of our podcast, which is Confederate, Confederate Pirates Save the Whales. Confederate Pirates Save the Whales. And this is the first episode where uh, 150 years ago, pretty much now... Um, our Confederate anti-heroes. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I think people who are rather too fond of tying up sailors uh, are not really going to be heroes in our book. Anti-heroes yeah. is fine. Yeah, yeah, I have to say the. Uh, yeah. If they ever do the pornographic parody of the Shenandoah, it will kind of write itself. But uh, <laughs> but there you go. Um, so uh, in our in our last episode, um, we foreshadowed or spoiled that um, they were. The Shenandoah was heading towards the um, the most remote uh, inhabited archipelago of Ireland in the world, which is uh, Tristan de Cahuna. Tristan de C- is it Cahuna or Cahuna? C- I'm, I'm assuming it's the big Cahuna because it is a big island. If you look at it, it's got a big mountain on it. Fair enough. Now this is uh, Tristan de, de Cahuna. Is uh, well, put it this way: it's it's between um, South America and Africa. And Cape Town is the nearest large port. So Cape Town is 1,000 miles away. So um, it's very remote. And in fact, the Shenandoah seems to be rather specialising in uh, remote. Because uh, isn't, isn't one of the islands in the Tristan de Cunha group, because um, we've done a, an immediate... Um, I think we're abandoning Kahuna. It's not Kahuna. It's Kunha. Actually. It's Kunha. Uh, it's one of them called like Inaccessible Island. Yes, one is called Inaccessible Island. Yes, this is a very cool name. Yes, it is. So, so the Shenandoah started from lost deserters back off the Madeiras. So they they started from the deserted islands. Um, th- th- now they've got onto Inaccessible Island, and um, then eventually they're going to go around to Australia, which is um, yeah. A big island. A big island. And as you know, people like um, you know, Seinfeld remark to this day, it's kind of the, the arse end of nowhere. So, uh, you know. Well, actually, I, I would say that Tristan de Cunha is the arse end of nowhere, given it's the most remote 
Inhabited oh, archipelago in the world. I'm sorry, we, we have just completely alienated all of our Tristan de Cunha listeners. And, no, and so, you know what? I'm checking that very reliable source, Wikipedia, here. Its current population is 297, but they still have a magnificently named capital. Now, I don't think no. they could beat this. Its capital is Edinburgh of the Seven Seas. Is oh, the that's, of the capital. that's wonderful. Uh, that's so much better than Glasgow of the Seven Seas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's uh, 2,000 kilometres uh, from the nearest inhabited land, which is St. Helena. Right. Okay, so... It's 2,000 kilometres away from a place that was so deserted that you set Napoleon there. Yes. So he couldn't get away. And in fact, 2,400 kilometres from the nearest, like, proper landmass, which was South Africa. So we are a long way from anywhere. We are a long way from anywhere. Yes, it's 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 a little bit like the island in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I guess. Although yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they're, they're just about there, um... A hundred years ago. hundred fifty years, years ago, ago sorry. Yes. And uh, they're still longing for a Yankee, of course. Yes. They uh, On the 3rd of December, they did, Dr. Lining, our, our favourite uh, hard-drinking doctor, yes. gave the Sweethearts and Wives toast. Was there any other kind? There, there, there wasn't, no. <laughs> and <clears throat> that, of course, had... Uh, but they called it medicinal brandy for a reason. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Whittle, the... Uh, the chief's executive executive officer, once again, having done the wives and sweethearts toast, said, "Whenever this toast is prepared, I think how how dear Patty is to me, and I always invoke God's blessing. Oh, how much do I want to see her?" So he's feeling the distance. He's, 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 feeling, he's feeling. He's probably going to try to someone else up now just to. <laughs> Take out the frustration. Oh, dear me. No, no, no. So the next day, it was very foggy. Okay, and so this is December the 4th. This is uh, December the 4th. Yes. And they came across a ship, and it looked so much like a Yankee that they boarded him. Okay. And you know what? It was a Yankee, but the Yankees had very cleverly changed it to Sardinian registration at some point earlier in the war, which disappointed them very much. This is, you know, the American Civil War is, is proving... A massive boon for ports of convenience, isn't it? And, it it and, is, and, yes. And, and, th- and that boom has continued till this day because, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. They then came across another ship, and this one's really interesting because, uh, again, it's very foggy. Yes. They got up reasonably close to it, and then all of a sudden they decided it was so suspicious they'd go no closer. And uh, Whittle actually says, if she was not a steam gunboat under sail, I never saw one. And he would know because he'd seen them. Because he'd seen them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, and what did they do at this point, Rob? Oh, uh, did they decide that the honour honor meant that they should attack the Yankees wherever they found them? So they... Yeah, went straight at the um, steam gunboat. No, what's the better part of valour? I can't remember. It's it's <laughs> is it cowardice? I think is the actual word. It's not exactly cowardice what they did, but they decided they'd go no closer. They um, would go no closer. So, so to, to quote from um, to, from from Monty Python, when danger reared its ugly head, the Shenandoah turned its tail and fled. It did. Yes, to, <clears throat> well, to paraphrase, it's, it's Sir Robin, of course, in the uh, in the original Monty Python. So th- why did they do that? Why didn't they attack, given that they are this this ship of war, they have their mighty cannon on board? Because they recap. cannot fire their mighty cannon, because they <clears throat> go straight to the uh, straight to the bottom. Yes, they, they're in no way of uh, being an actual ship of war, so they, they, they disappeared. 
Despite that, later in the day, I think this is very impressive, just to rouse the troops, I guess you could say, they nevertheless read the articles of war to all their Oh, yes, yes, of course. Yes, having... Having run away from a putative Yankee warship, they then... I would say some of the impressed sailors on board uh, must have been scratching their heads at that one. But uh, Whittle, again, is not impressed by the grey uniforms. If uh, we remembered uh, from last week, they'd got out these uh, grey uniforms that just... uh, didn't look didn't look right, did they? They would they would attract the dirt like nobody's business. Yes, yeah. and show the dirt like nobody's business. But then, good luck came the next day when they found. Uh, so this would be December the fifth, eighteen sixty. December the fifth, December the fifth. They finally uh, come across a Yankee again, okay. and it's not just a Yankee. This one is a Yankee whaling boat. Ooh. This is what they'd been setting out to, uh, setting out they, to do. Their orders. Their orders yeah, to, to, to search the world seas until they found them. Now, um, it wasn't hard to find because the ship was in the middle of what's called trying out. And what this means is they'd just captured a whale and they were boiling up the blubber to get the oil. And I would suggest that that would have made a tremendous column of smoke. Yes. And it probably would have stunk yeah, I think probably the, the the smoke would would last would go further than the the, the stink. But yes, it would. And, and also because you're you're lashed to a to a giant beast, uh, you're not exactly going to be able to like like you know unlash yourself and, and head off into the distance. So. No, so they they made a very desultory attempt to uh, you know get away before they were captured. Ah, uh, so so did the Shenandoah just show the Confederate flag and and waltz on up then? No, they, they did what all good pirates do. They put up the British flag first. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and the, uh, the ship put up the Yankee flag and then they put up the Confederate flag. Oh, that must be such an oops moment when yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah right. you definitely... Oh, damn. You know? So um, the, the ship that they'd captured was the Bark Edward... Of yes. New Bedford. New Bedford is the, uh, oh, the whaling you, you, you could not get any more Yankee than New Bedford, unless perhaps it was Nantucket. And the people of New Bedford and the people of Nantucket would probably have a fight as to who was the most Yankee of them all. Yes. So they, they, they really... Uh... Now, it was a very old ship, but it was just out. Okay. And this, uh, if, you, if you read what they captured, it sounds like this was pretty much... The first whale that this ship had took on their on their oh, expedition. Oh, that's, that's bad luck. So it's very bad luck for them. It's very good luck for the Shenandoah because uh, when you go out on one of these whaling trips, you might go for several years at a time. So Up this to four. so this ship was absolutely stuffed to the gunnels with stores, and. Uh, this was very good because... Uh, it, would there be a list of these stores? There there was, it? yes. They managed to get off uh, the ship. Uh, apart from her two new whale boats, which Whittle was very impressed and with. Which, uh, to foreshadow, the Shenandoah will make great use of later. 50 barrels of beef, 49 of pork, 46 of flour, 6,000 pounds of bread, 1,200 of soap. Now, that would be kind of handy. 600 of coffee, 400 of butter, one barrel of hams, one of pickles, a very large quantity of manila rope, two barrels of blackfish oil, two half barrels of sand. Not sure what you do with the sand, but uh, the 
I can see that the rest of the stuff would be uh, incredibly handy at this point because they're probably probably sick by now of uh, tomatoes. tomatoes. Yes, yes. tin tomatoes. Yes. It took them two days to get all this stuff off the whaling ship, which gives you an idea of just how much uh, how much stores were on board it. And it kind of, um, I, I seem to remember, um, and we should perhaps go back and have a look at this next week when, and do an amendment, you know, uh, errors and additions. Um, the, the officers of the Shenandoah were, were extraordinarily noble at the start of the cruise in their determination not to loot the enemy because, you know, n- no gentleman would do that. And they would take only what they needed, but they, they seemed to have come by stages to define only what they needed as whatever they wanted. And pretty much well, everything. And, yeah, and pretty much everything. So they, they needed everything, yes. yes. But so on board, I do have to say that the, you know, 50 barrels of beef would be a comfort to a man. Yes. Uh, on board, and, and also to be presumably it was the start of a journey. This yes, is, so it, is, it wouldn't be too weevily. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, sorry, sorry, beef. It would be maggoty, not weevily. But the other thing that interests me there is the... The twelve hundred pounds of bread. Now, I'd say that would not be that would not be brioche. Uh, that would probably be uh, ship's biscuit. I would imagine. Yes, and, probably. And yes. bread, um, because yeah, 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 the cook probably wouldn't want to be you know, spending too much time making bread during the course of the day. But to take twelve hundred pounds of ship's biscuit, I reckon by the end of the voyage, um, your teeth would get mighty tired of gnawing on that ship's biscuit and and yes um, many a weevil joke would be had as in master and commander oh, i'm sure yes as in I, I've, I've never forgotten russell crowe's you know look on his face when he pronounced the letter of two weevils that was uh well one of the best uh, best bits of, of acting he's ever done i think that gag probably lasted the whole way through the uh, the age of sail <laughs> yes. so uh on board the ship were captain worth yes Three mates and 22 sailors, most of whom were Portuguese. And all of a sudden, this causes a problem for them because their prisoners just about outnumber the crew. Yeah, which which is never a good thing. Never a good thing. So what they did is they put uh, the sailors in chains down below. I wonder whose idea that was. <laughs> and uh, Captain Worth and the mates were given given their parole for, for now. Um, the Portuguese sailors uh, refused to ship on board, so they had to work out what to do with them. Fortunately, they were coming up to a an island. Okay. The aforementioned island, which was about as far away from any island as you could get. But this could, uh, this could have perhaps solved their problem for them. So before they do that... They burn the whaling ship. And I can imagine a ship that spent its entire career cutting up and, and boiling, boiling oil. Yes, would, would, would make a fine blaze. I think it would make a fine blaze. And, and, and Whittle says, says as such okay. that uh, it, it burned very well. So the next day, December the 7th... Now, now um, uh, before before we get on to the next day, which yeah. is presumably Tristan de, de Kuna, um, I believe Whittle says that it's a right whale... That, uh, that the ship, the Edward... Yes, was. it was a right whale. Yes. What, can you tell me, what is a right a whale? Right, well, it's, it's very interesting. The, the right whale was basically named because it was the right whale for whaling. It's kind of like if you named a breed of chicken finger-looking good. Uh-huh. Um, the right whale... Uh, there, there are three species of right whale. Um, and the one that... Um, almost certainly uh, the Edward would have, uh, would have caught, given that um, it's... 
we're almost at the, the tip of South America, would have been um, Eubelina, uh, apologies for pronunciation, I've uh, never heard the word, I've only read it, Eubelina Australis. I'm a bit more comfortable with Australis, mm-hmm. I think I think probably that's... And um, there are three species of right whale, but uh, they don't like the warm waters of the equator. So the, the uh, Australis... Um, uh, They'd be from the south. They, they would be from the south. And then there's a Eubelina glacialis uh, in the north, which sounds to me like um, hangs around the Arctic. And uh, Eubelina japonica um, also. Let me guess. Let me guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look, wait, wait, wait. We're going to do no more research here because we are lazy fellows, and we are going to say that, that, that that's going to be hanging around Japan. But, um, oh, um, I wonder if they're hanging around Japan anymore, given... Uh, uh, yes, predilection for well, look, um, scientific whaling. I, I have to say, the 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 right whale is still uh, the the right whales are, are endangered. I, I believe that the, the the Australian right whale is slightly better off than the other species of uh, of right whales, and um, they are large baleen whales. Um, they are very good for whaling for a number of purposes. Uh, first, they tend to feed on the surface. Uh, secondly, they are very large. They're up to a um, hundred, a hundred short tons. Now, I've never figured out the various types of ton, but yet yeah, there's a ton sounds a lot. Yeah, though, a ton it? does sound a lot. So yeah, so they're they're, they're up to uh, to a hundred tons, um, and presumably they're just chock full of oil. Uh, they they have got a very large amount of blubber, and um, they're up to and, and they're they're quite docile too. Uh, now the other thing is because they've got so much blubber. If you kill them, um, they tend to stay afloat. So you can just go up and, and get them. Oh, at, that's handy at your leisure. Whereas um, uh, other species of uh, of whales do not do that. And um, it's interesting that um, uh, when the right whale began to suffer population pressures and uh, they had to move on to other species of whales. Well, the sperm whale, for instance, was uh, famously combative. Yeah, most of the um, the old prince. You that's see. why Moby Dick's a sperm whale and not that, a right whale. That, that's why. Um, yes, that's why. That um... it would have been a much shorter book, I think, <laughs> if Moby Dick was a right whale. And um, of course, the blue whale. Um, I don't think it's got as much blubber, and of course, is, is quite a bit bigger than the right whale. So the, the right whale uh, was in in every every way perfectly suited for whaling. Um, they consume krill. And pteropods and copepods, which uh, I believe um, uh, pteropods are snails, I think, and copepods are little crustaceans. So basically, they're, they're plankton feeders. Uh, again, not like the sperm whale. Oh, this was like the whale food we talked about last yes. week. Yes, so when Whittle saw krill on the surface and saw that as a sign that uh, whales were likely to be about, he was, he was absolutely correct. And, uh, and of course, the, the other thing is that uh, around Tristan de Cunha, because, again, it, it's an island and they, they liked the, the right whales liked hanging about offshore, uh, it was very likely from that point of view that, um, that there would be whales there. Now, I'm going to say one more thing about uh, the right whale. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll go into a lot more, a lot more research about uh, the various habits of whales as we go through and as the Shenandoah takes uh, more whaling ships. But... Something I do have to share with you that, um, and uh, sorry, this is a direct quote here from uh, Mr. Wikipedia. Uh, Although the blue whale is the largest animal on the planet, the testes of the right whale are actually 10 times larger than those of the blue whale. 
with each weighing up to 525,000 kilograms, 1,157 pounds. That's each. So that's 500 kilograms per... Why am I thinking of, you know, that great big ball in the start of Indiana Jones when you were talking about this? (laughs) They are by far the largest of any animal on Earth. There you go. There you go. So, um... Well, that's our fact for the day, Rob, and that's something I'm going to remember for some time. So, um, yes, so that's, so that's a thousand kilograms for, for the two together, which, um, how many of us would that make, Michael? I thought that would make... Um... That's, that's, that's a very weird <laughs> analogy, Rob, but quite a few. So, uh, and in fact, I think really, if, if you put two right whale testicles in a lift, I think you would reach the carrying capacity of the lift because the lift is, uh, I think, uh, you know, 14 people or 1,000 kilograms. So if you managed to squeeze two right whale testicles into a lift, you'd have to seriously worry about whether it was over. I'm going to send an email to the Otis people right now so they can have that on, uh, on, on their lifts for the future. So they get to Tristan de Cunha and... Even though uh, Tristan de Cunha now has a population of, oh gosh, it's gone all the way up to nearly 300. Yes. Back then, uh, in uh, 1864, it appears that the population was about 35. Yeah, the, the really worrying thing about that is that almost certainly the 290 there now are the direct descendants of the 35 who were there then. Possibly. Uh, and, uh, as we'll discover in a few minutes... Possibly uh, they might be related to some Portuguese sailors <laughs> who were dumped there in 1864. Oh, dear. So, unfortunately for our anti-heroes, uh, at other times, in times of peace, there could be something up to 70 whalers around Tristan de Cunha at this time of year. And uh, they've only discovered one because we're in a time of war. So when they uh, when they appear there, a uh, whale boat comes out with uh, one of the one of the people who lives there and starts to offer to sell them uh, beef and mutton because well, that's what the island produces. They've they've just stolen a whole lot of. They didn't get any mutton though, did they? Decide to buy some mutton. They 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 bought a few things and um, before they could do the buying though. Uh, the very interesting economic system on this island was there were th- a population of about 35 in seven families. Okay. Um, so that's fairly small families, but anyway. That's fairly small. Yes, that, that, that's kind of arguing that there's somewhat of a subsistence. Or, or maybe, you know, the first thing you did when you were 16 is hitched, hitched a lift with the nearest, nearest boat. Either that or um, the 35... Uh, an individual may have been in more than one family, shall we say. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, okay. Anyway, uh, they would uh, produce beef and mutton on the island and they would uh, sell it to passing ships. That, that, that's a good way of, because you your customers come to you. And unless, it's, unless it's a civil war and your 70, 70 whalers yes. don't turn up. And the deal was, because this island had no governor and no particular government, in fact, um, when... When Whittle asks them, what do you do if you have no governor? And they say, if anyone does anything that outrages the public, there would be a meeting and he would be denounced as a dog. I, look, I think if, if all the other 34 people on the most remote island in the world 
think you're a dog. I, I think that is a, a very significant punishment, and yeah. I think I think yes. So, so various forms of being sent to Coventry, I think, would be highly successful. You're probably sent to the other side of the island. Yes. So uh, to, take a, to take a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> so the families would take it in turns to sell to the ships, and it was uh, somebody else's turn. So he came out and. Uh, and they did some uh, some buying and selling. I, I remember reading um, oh, an article about I think it was Nova Scotia or, or another no, another very remote um, you know, uh, island with only a few hundred people. And um, basically, they, they were interviewing a woman in her twenties who was unmarried, and she basically said, "If if you don't find your sweetheart in your high school class, you don't find them." <laughs> so I'm sure it'd be like that. So what they did is they exchanged. Flour at eight dollars per barrel for beef, um, at uh, eighteen CTSs per pound. What's a CTS? Uh, this is something we, we perhaps should have you know, worked out before we we wondered on air what it was. Yeah, uh, we'll find that out for next week. Cartons of Marlborough. All I can say though, all I can say though, is that despite uh, doing this trade. Um, the people of the Shenandoah weren't exactly happy about that. They said that uh, they found that these people were land sharks for the prices that they were charging. Well, you can go... So whatever the... 18 CTS was, it was obviously a, a bad deal for them. Well, if, if you don't like the prices in Tristan de Kuna, you can just go to Cape Town. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, yeah. Or, or St. Helena. Or St. Helena. Pop in and yeah, see yeah. Napoleon. Yeah. And I think it's a bit much given that they're, they're swapping flour that they stole from a New England whaler. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like, you know, this came out of their hard-earned, hard-earned cash. So uh, in, in return for being fleeced, they then sold back to them clothes for the sum of some $40. Now, interestingly, they were prize clothes, Rob. So, in other words, they were selling the clothes of their prisoners to the people on Tristan for $40. Well, the prisoners presumably are, are shackled in irons below decks, so they, they don't really need to They don't really have much of a the, complaint. The clothes were probably, you know, chafe against the shackles. So. Furthermore, they then uh, promptly announced to the people of Tristan that they were going to offload the prisoners on them as well. Now, this would be just about uh, almost doubling the population of the island overnight, which uh, the people on the island were not all that happy about, as you could imagine. <laughs> So what they did is they demanded that provisions be left for these sailors. For these sailors, yes. So that uh, while they were waiting to be picked up, they would obviously not starve. And uh, to the credit of the uh, the people on the Shenandoah, they did in fact leave them provisions for two months. There you go. Although I believe such was was very much um, the law of the sea, whether whether or not you know, which is you don't maroon people. The whole thing about marooning people on a desert island was it was a piratical thing to do. Although, on the other hand, you know, they are pirates. They are, they, yes, but they do seem to be rather looting. And despite the fact that they're not getting piece of the bait, they are getting you know, barrels of beef, which are uh, you know. Yeah, not, not so, uh, just as they leave uh, Tristan, they are very excited by the fact that they raise the Confederate flag. Yes, and uh, on board uh, on board the ship, and on over on Tristan, they raised the British flag in return. Oh, so there was a a return of ceremonial salutes. Yes, and he says it is wonderful that even here in this remote island, away entirely from our country, the people feel the effects of the war in our country. This proves our importance. 
Well, I yeah. don't think so. I, I don't. I, I think they're they're kind of fooling themselves. <laughs> it, it proves that they're the only ship currently in harbour. I think really, and that, that you know, why not? Uh, anyway, they they manage to leave with their you know, big smiles on their faces, having captured a whaler. Yes. Uh, taken on board enough stores to last them the rest of their cruise. Yep. And uh, also offloaded a whole lot of prisoners, which they didn't need. Yes. But very sadly, the next day, the 8th of December, where we're going to uh, wind up today, even though the morning started bright and early, they discovered something potentially catastrophic. Oh, would that be something to do with the propeller, Michael? It was. They discovered that there was a crack in the propeller. And uh, if they hadn't noticed it uh, later on, it could have been fatal. Because imagine if they were being chased by that mysterious gunboat. Yes. And the, the propeller failed on them. So it, when they hoisted it up, um, as as we talked about before, this was a propeller that you could take in and out of the water through a special uh, scuttle at the back. And they saw that it had been f- fairly crappily fixed at uh, some point earlier on with a whole lot of screws. This is what happens when you buy a second-hand boat. Yes, even though the boat Ship. itself was only a couple of uh, couple Ship. of years Ship. old. Yes, it had clearly. Uh, Clearly had well, some damage it, it was at the it. cutting edge of technology, and this is an, an experimental power system. And obviously, yeah, it, 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 all the bugs have not been ironed out. So um, they say here it was an old break and had been done for a long time and there'd been screws put in to repair it that clearly had not been talked about at the uh, time of the point of sale. No, no, no. Um, and as uh, Whittle says, as the propeller is to us our life, all work was stopped so that it could be fixed. Now, given that they're about to to go around um, the tip of South America and then head off uh, on on very very you know desolate and windswept uh, seas across to Australia, this this is a potentially a very serious situation that might in fact lead them to have to put into a uh, a friendly port at some stage to to do some. Mm-hmm. Well, at the moment they're doing their best to have it fixed, and the only way they could hoist this incredibly heavy uh, piece of equipment out was by uh, putting it over the spanker boom of the of the ship. Okay, the spanker boom. Now, now look, um, I, I think, uh, of course, I, I know exactly what a spanker boom is, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you next week, I'll tell you all about what a spanker boom is, because if I tried to go into it now, it would uh, would take too long. So, all right, um, so very we'll, good. We'll, we'll go into that. So next week, I think we'll, we'll have a bit of a talk about exactly how they tried to, to fix the propeller. Okay, but for the moment, uh, this has been uh, another ep- yet another in a long series of episodes of Shenandoah Down Under or uh, Confederate Pirates Save the Whales. They did save some whales this week. Well, they didn't save one whale, but they saved all the other whales. They saved all the other whales that that ship would have definitely exactly captured. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, this has been a Robert Mob, Robert Love, and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. I'm Mob, and we'll see you next week. Tally ho, tally ho.